Hey guys, Mike here for Hokey Hangover on behalf of the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Former Downtown Blacksburg Business of the Year in 2019, Jeremy Counts and his staff at Main Street Pharmacy have you covered for all of your pharmaceutical needs. Medication, school supplies, you name it. Jeremy and his staff, family-owned business, they got you covered over at Main Street Pharmacy in Downtown Blacksburg. They've been a sponsor of our podcast since the beginning, going on five years now, and there's a reason why. They're extremely extremely reliable. They're good people. They're friends of ours, friends of the podcast. Head on over to Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street, downtown Blacksburg. Open Monday to Friday, 9 to 6, Saturday from 9 to noon. They're closed on Sundays. You can be reached at 540-605-7721. That's Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. hangover it's pittsburgh week andrew alex is back andrew give us your two minute monologue on the marshall loss don't even need two minutes didn't what bad pecock say like in the we're about to go hire justin fuente's replacement press conference that he prioritized experience okay it's not a requirement <laughs> don't go out and hire a first-time offensive and defensive coordinator too simple as that this is what you get everyone's learning on the job and uh, some of the people we hired just might not have it, at least not right now. But here we are. Fair enough. Ricky, how's it going? That was the most succinct monologue ever of all time. Um, I'm doing pretty good. Before we get started, uh, rest in peace, Brooks Robinson came out today that he passed away. Uh, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Um, certainly one of the greatest Orioles of all time, Mr. Orioles. So. Shout out Brooks Robinson and uh, rest in peace, my friend. Rest in peace, 86-year-old Brooks Robinson, Baltimore Orioles legend. My dad grew up watching him. My dad loves Brooks Robinson. He was very yeah, sad. My dad was the first person I thought of. Yeah. All right. Let's try to have a discussion about how the Hokies can get one in the win column this Saturday against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh can be had, guys. This isn't so... They stink. This is interesting because we came into the year and we talked about, I feel like ad nauseum, it was all about September, 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 right? The first four non-conference games, it was all about stacking the wins because once you get to conference play, you're going to have a lot of trouble. That can absolutely still be the case. This team's one and three, hasn't looked very good, been very, very, very inconsistent. We've seen spurts of good football. We've seen a lot of spurts of bad football. We've seen some good coaching at times. We've seen some terrible coaching at, a lot, actually, lately. But this is a Pittsburgh team that, on paper, coming into the year, I don't think we felt very good about this matchup at Lane Stadium the last weekend of September. Coming into this game this weekend, it's more about what Virginia Tech's doing wrong more than what Pitt's doing right going into this game. The reason for optimism, I think, if you're a Hokies fan coming into this game, is the fact that this Pittsburgh team is not as good as a lot of people expected it to be. Not only that, but there's a decent chance that their backup quarterback is playing in this game, Christian Veyu, because 
Phil Dracovic, who is, by the way, has not been very good this year, took a huge hit at the end of the first half of the game against North Carolina last week. I would be surprised if he plays, but even if he does, he has not been very good. This is a game on paper from an opponent's standpoint that I think Virginia Tech fans should be feeling a lot better about. The issue is that Virginia Tech has been very inconsistent through the first four weeks, rendering this game a total toss-up. Vegas agrees. It's down to Pittsburgh as a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. It opened at four. So Vegas is in agreement, and the line is moving towards Virginia Tech. This is a very interesting game, given the circumstances of this Virginia Tech team currently. Yeah, and we like to talk about how Virginia Tech's wins under Brent Pry don't necessarily inspire a lot of confidence. Pittsburgh's only win this year is against Wofford. <laughs> so, ironically, yeah, uh, ironically enough, they've been pretty poor. Um, Cincinnati's not not the Cincinnati of the last few years, and they lost to them. Uh, lost at West Virginia in an ugly seventeen to six rivalry game. Got blasted last week by North Carolina at home. You make a good point about Dracovic. He's always been a little overrated, probably, in the eyes of the media. Um, since, since that 2020 season. Yeah, he's he just hasn't quite figured it out. And you would have thought that uh, being reunited with, I think, is it Frank Signetti? Signetti, Frank Signetti. Not, not Kurt, Frank. Frank, correct. Uh, being reunited with Frank Signetti, who was the offensive coordinator in that 2020 Boston College year, you would have thought that this would have gone a little bit better for the Pittsburgh Panthers, but it just simply hasn't. Statistically, this offense is worse than Virginia Tech. Uh, Their starting left tackle, I'm probably going to mispronounce this name, Matt Goncalves, is out. All ACC linemen. Uh, Jerkovic, who is the starting quarterback, and even though he's not been very good, is probably their best option. He's kind of questionable. Christian Bayou, who is someone that a lot of Tech fans thought that the Hokies might target in the portal this past offseason, given his Penn State connection, uh, may end up starting in this game. This is not the Pittsburgh team of the last few years. They do not have the offensive talent. Uh, They are very stout defensively, at least per the statistics. Uh, They are one of the best defensive teams in the country, actually 12th in total defense thus far uh, through the uh, essentially the first third of the season. I think that's where Pittsburgh holds the advantage. Virginia Tech's defense has not shown the ability to play well against bad offenses or even mediocre ones. Pittsburgh has shown the ability to put up a stout defense against their relatively mild schedule. Uh, With that said, though, this game is certainly gettable, and if Virginia Tech can clean up some of these turnover issues they've been having, maybe get some of these penalties out of the way that have come up in in the last couple weeks, Virginia Tech could be in a one-score game all the way to the end. Clean up, I mean, and and Andrew, I'm going to tag you in here in, in a moment, but just simply clean up the run fits, and it seems so simple, but it's been four weeks of it. Uh, Rashina Lee last weekend, he had 25 carries for 57 yards, but he also had two carries for 117 yards and two touchdowns, right? Those two long runs were very consequential. So Virginia Tech for a large portion of the game held him to around two yards per carry. He ended up rushing for around five or six yards per carry because 
you know, you let him break two really long ones. You avoid that with Rodney Hammond in this game, pit starting running back. And I think you're going to be in a much better spot with the team that has struggled to throw the football so far. What say you, Andrew? Well, yeah, Mike, there, there's a reason the teams are doing this though. Like you go and you establish the run and you hammer it and you hammer it and you hammer it because all the evidence shows that eventually that mental mistake is going to be made and you have a, you know, low risk chance at a big play, regardless of your strength in the passing game or not. There's a reason teams keep trying it, right? And I, I think the difference that we'll see with Pitt versus what we saw with uh, Rutgers or Marshall is I, I do think this is somewhat of a measuring stick as to how bad this run defense actually is. Because, yes, they took advantage of Virginia Tech, but Marshall and Rutgers were always going to be teams whose identity was strongly rooted in the run game to begin with. And that Virginia Tech, a team with a weakness defensively, you know, it was always going to be a favorable matchup for that opponent. Rodney Hammond isn't Izzy Abanacanda. He might not even be Rasheen Ali. Agree. I agree. And yep. It, it, if Virginia Tech can't stop this pit rushing attack, you know, if the problems persist, uh, you look ahead at the schedule and you say, "Well, like there it is. Like this is the book. The book is out." Right. And you have a hard time living. It's going to get any better. So even just a, you know, a reasonable showing against the run. I think puts Virginia Tech in a, a good spot here. Yeah. Why would I have faith that's going to happen though? Right. The one the one thing about Pittsburgh that they may not have like an Izzy Abanacanda type player. They've got a lot of depth at running back. Uh, all three of their top running backs are averaging 4.6 yards per rush or better. Sebo uh, Flemister, which hell of a name. Uh, Daniel Carter, much less uh, hell of a name. Those three guys with Hammond have have all been efficient. And even though Pittsburgh isn't necessarily scoring a ton of points, they're all moving the ball on the ground. And if Virginia Tech's run defense is going to look anything like it's looked for most of the year, uh, Virginia Tech's going to have some problems. There's a decent chance that this is the best offensive line that Virginia Tech's played against, too. Um, even with the injury up front, uh, this is still a very good Pittsburgh offensive line. Uh, Solid, like not spectacular, but solid. Uh, Virginia Tech's faced a couple of decent offensive lines. This is probably the best one they've seen so far this year. Just something to monitor. Defensive line play hasn't been fantastic. Linebacker play, of course, we've criticized that up and down on this podcast. We don't need to drone on and on about that. But I do think if you know Virginia Tech is able to really slow down this pit rushing attack, force Pittsburgh to throw the football in this game. I think both quarterbacks, whoever ends up playing, I think will throw you the football, right? Virginia Tech has, you know, done a decent job so far of forcing turnovers. It's kind of been one of those things that has kind of been, you know, Tech's got five. I think they forced five turnovers this year. They had seven all last year. Like, it's not great, but it's a step in the right direction. And it's kind of been overshadowed by the fact that this team just literally can't stop the run if their life depended on it. But, you know, we saw 
a good early game force turnover, right? You got to capitalize, right? And that kind of is, is where I want to flip things here. Offensively, you got to capitalize. You got to find offensive identity. I think that's the thing I keep coming back to this week, just thinking more and more about this team, where it's heading. I think this team right now is lacking offensive identity. I think that sometimes they want to be a run first team. Sometimes they want to air it out, but they don't really know the direction they're going to go in. Injuries at wide receiver, injuries at the quarterback position have obviously impacted that. But, you know, I I think last week was a bit of a wake-up call. We saw, you know, in the Rutgers game, it was Kyron Jones' first start. You saw Bowen as the offensive coordinator, the play caller, you know, rolling the pocket out and making drones and the offensive line a little bit more comfortable, right? It takes pressure off off the offensive line when you're rolling uh, the pocket left or to the right. It's making the read easier for the quarterback. You basically have like two reads. It's a high-low read, and that's about it. Or you tuck it and run. Make things easier on your offensive line. Make things easier on your quarterback. Last week against Marshall, we didn't see that. We saw Kyron Drones all of a sudden turn into a pocket passer. Virginia Tech was trying to be a semi-air raid team for two and a half quarters. It didn't work out went away from the power running game that was so successful early in the game for once. I just want to know what the offensive identity is going to be. And I think that, you know, we're into our third game with Kyron Jones as a starting quarterback. I think now's the time where you know what works, you know what doesn't, you know what you can build off of. And I just think we have to have more stability on the offensive side of the ball. At least have an identity, even if you're not scoring a ton of points. Like, at least give us an idea of what you're trying to do. Because right now, I have no idea what they're trying to do on offense. Well, they're facing the best defense that they've played this year. Pittsburgh's really? got... Better, better than Rutgers? Statistically, yeah. Pittsburgh's got nine different players with sacks, full sacks this year. Um, Again, I, I understand the schedule's been a bit mild. Yeah. But statistically, this is the best defense that they've played. Narduzzi coaches his defense well. They have a track record of playing physical on all three levels. Um, Brent Pry did mention in his weekly press conference that he felt like Virginia Tech got away from the run game uh, against Marshall, which we all saw and lamented uh, in the in the podcast afterwards. It's one way to talk to your offensive coordinator through the media. Yeah, you have to hope that they're able to develop the same kind of rhythm and push early on that they did against Marshall. Because if they aren't, then you're you're not going to stick with the run game and you're going to rely on Kyron Jones to have 50-some touches again between passes and runs. And I don't think that is a recipe for success on offense. I mean, like, it's on Tyler Bowen in that regard. Right, like one thing that Brad Cornelson's offense was good for is you could play a quarterback who was limited in the passing game, and you know that offensive scheme would put that player in situations where it was easier for them to succeed. It was a limited offense, especially you know down the stretch when you were trying to get that key first down or what have you, but, you know, Quincy was able to work in it. Hendon pre like 
rocket ship development was able to work in it. Like, obviously, you don't need to run Brad Cornelson's offense. But Tyler Bowen's main focus should be scheming in a way that sets Kyron drones up for easy success. This may be a completely different offense that you would run if you had Grant Wells and Ollie Jennings in there. But the problem being, again, is that it seems like at least going into the game, you would have some idea of what you feel like that's going to look like, right? And it feels like, at least from what we're watching, because again, there's no clear identity. They're just trying one thing, throwing it at the wall, seeing if it sticks. It sticks. If it doesn't, they kind of move on to something new. Like, how do you get away from the run game last week? It, it is kind of beyond me. Because if anything that we've heard and anything that really these coaches have suggested means anything, then yeah, trying to go air raid with Kyron Jones, who probably isn't as 100% ready to be out there as you would like him to be. I mean, he's the more limited. He's, he's the more limited of two quarterbacks passing, right? I mean. Yeah. Exactly. Like, so let's not pretend he's someone he isn't. You have two very different players at quarterbacks. You know, both have their slight advantage, both have their drawback. And given that only one of them can go, you got to play to that guy's strength. All I'm saying is Pittsburgh has one of the better rankings in the country um, in terms of sacks, in terms of allowing big plays. Um, they haven't really generated much of turnovers this year, but this is not the opponent that you'd like to see on the schedule when you're trying to figure things out on offense. So I anticipate another low scoring game in Blacksburg for this one. I would not expect unless Virginia Tech's run defense is again horrid and they somehow give up more than 30 against this offense. I would expect once again this is going to be a low scoring affair. Yeah, it's going to be a really gross game to watch. Let's call it what it is. This is gonna this is gonna set football back probably three decades. Ideally, coming into the year, we were talking about, you know, I, I think Ricky, the thing you just said was right on point about this is not the team you necessarily want to see defensively, like when you're trying to figure things out on offense. I mean, that's right on the money. That's why we thought the month of September, those four non-conference games were so important, because you knew that by the time you get to ACC play, we can debate, you know, who the best defense is on the schedule. But this is the this is the most athletic. This is from a talent standpoint, the best defense Virginia Tech has seen this year. The, the, this defense has more talent than Rutgers, who, you know, I think Rutgers has a pretty good defense. This this team's got Pittsburgh's got more talent on the defense side of the football than Rutgers does. This is why, though, you want to kind of hash things out offensively in those first four games. And that's why it became really important that Virginia Tech win at least two of those games because you knew coming into conference play that, you know, okay, there's Pitt this weekend, Florida State Florida State in a couple weeks. Like, this was going to be one of those games that was going to be a swing game on the schedule, one that was going to be a little bit tougher for Virginia Tech to win. Now it's still a swing game, but on paper – doesn't look necessarily as tough, but it's still a Pat Narduzzi coached Pittsburgh team. They're going to try to run the football. They're going to play very good defense. And, you know, depending on what their quarterback situation looks like, they're going to try to take advantage and hit on big plays down the field. 
which they haven't done a lot of this season, but that doesn't mean they won't try. So I think this is the first one of the first times this year where we'll we'll see Virginia Tech's secondary. I don't want to say tested because I don't think these quarterbacks are any good, but this is the first time where I think Pittsburgh is going to try to make some plays down the field because we can say what we want about Virginia Tech not stopping the run. Everything that we're going to utter here about the Virginia Tech run defense is true. It's no bullshit. We know what it is at this point, right? We know Virginia Tech's having a lot of issues stopping the run. But Frank Signetti coach teams, they run to set up the pass, and they like to take shots down the field. There will be some times in this game where Virginia Tech's corners are going to be tested. Now, with that being said, Pittsburgh's wide receiving core is very, very young. They have a very good tight end, though, in Gavin Bartholomew, six foot five target, who they like to pepper with targets. Um, he is a big, t- big bodied wide receiver. Um, they throw a lot of fades to him. They they use him in the slot. They use him alone in one on one coverage on the outside. They move him all around the offense. He is a really, really tough guy to defend. If you and- needed a, an inkling as to how bad this Pittsburgh passing attack has been. He's only got nine catches this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the um I think the leading receiver only has like a couple hundred yards. Leading receiver right now is Kanata Mumfield, who has yeah. 16 receptions, 183, and two touchdowns. 183 yards receiving is the leading receiver. So no is he a band of candy. So hold on. So, so actually Mumfield has Correct. more Mumfield has more receptions, but Bartholomew actually does have the most yards at 216. 216, okay. And, Andrew, what you just said about no Izzy Abanacanda, uh, no Jordan Addison is very true. And they don't have a quarterback either, right? No Kenny Pickett. (laughs) No Kenny Pickett. There's no Kenny Pickett walking through that door. Pittsburgh's offense, actually, statistically, is worse than Virginia Tech's. This is a really bad offense. Um, I said that, Mike. Two really bad offenses. Real (laughs) gross. Going to be real gross. Real low scoring. Terrible offense play. Uh, so Mike, I'm sure you like watched the tape of the injury and have been like super cued in, like Phil playing this week, or are we going to see the I Canadian train so. from Penn State? I don't think so. I would be surprised if Phil Trakovic plays. I think it's going to be Veyu. Can you imagine if Veyu comes in to Blacksburg? Don't want to talk about it in prime time. Just and has a hell of a game against Virginia Tech, who considered bringing in Veyu this offseason, but didn't. I was on the Boundary Corner podcast earlier tonight, and we had that exact discussion. Can you imagine if Christian Veyu comes in and he was the guy Virginia Tech went after and he carves up a Virginia Tech secondary that everybody thinks is good because the, the stats seem to say that but in reality it's the fact that opponents just simply run the football a million times against virginia tech and just don't put the ball in the air not saying this virginia tech secondary is bad or anything like that we're in agreement they have good athletes back there it's the strength of the defense but can you imagine if backup quarterback christian veyu torches the virginia tech defense then what do we have to hang our hat on as virginia tech then we are simply good at nothing we are good at nothing at that point what do we hang our hat on peter moore enter sandman Peter Moore. That will be, be, be a huge kick in the uh, in the testes if Christian Bay were to go out there 
and throw for 250 and two scores. There's always a point in a coaching tenure. I can't believe I'm saying this game 16 of the Brent Pry era. There's always a game in a, in an era where you say, yep, that was the moment where it was all over for that coaching staff. If Christian Veyu comes in as a backup into Blacksburg and throws for like 275 and three and four scores, cooked, <laughs> cooked. That that would be one of the we all love to talk about that 2019 Duke loss. This would be debilitating because then it's like we're not good at anything. Uh, we've made zero progress in the rebuild. We're really not going to win another game this season. If, if a backup quarterback who isn't really that good of a passer in a small sample size comes in and carves the Virginia Tech secondary up, that's supposed to be very good. That would be like doomsday scenario. Is that the worst possible outcome in this game? I think it is. Yes. I mean, like, I think this goes back to a few weeks ago when Ricky, after we lost to Rutgers, was like, will things really be that much worse if we lose to Marshall than they are right now? Yeah, it will. <laughs> like, and as you saw in terms of public sentiment, things devolved even further, even though it was pretty much the exact expected result, at least in terms of like what Vegas thought. So yeah, if Pitt comes in, carves Tech up at home, we know this team isn't good. Like that's the other frustrating thing about the slow start. Like, yeah, Virginia Tech is lacking in talent. Brent Pry inherited the cover of being there. But the teams that we were losing to consistently are all pretty bad. Yeah, not Virginia talent. Tech's had a patty cake schedule two weeks in a row. A week from now, we get another taste of what a big dog is like for the first time in a few years. And Virginia Tech wasn't hanging too tight in those games when they were much better than they are right now. Yeah. That's going to be on television for the world to see. I was going to say 3.30 nationally televised game. Like, great. (sighs) Not good. But, yeah. Like, ultimately, I mean, even the Josh Jackson 2017 team, if you put this Virginia Tech schedule in front of them, like, yeah, they'll probably lose to Florida State. And you assume they'll probably just, like, drop another one but yeah they would have a field day like we said Rutgers was gettable Purdue is bad Marshall is Marshall like they won't even finish top two in the Sun Belt they're still respectable for group of five but a good team beats them Pitts should be very beatable Wake should be very beatable you know Syracuse seems I NC State looks flawed Boston College and UVA or bad. Louisville might be good. Maybe. We'll find out this weekend. Yeah. Good team. Steamrolls. Virginia Tech. What's the, the win total over under at right now? Two and a half? I would love to know. I, I I told a buddy of mine it's it should be two and a half at this point. Yeah. I think it should too. I think it should And too. honestly, I don't know what I'd bet. <laughs> Oh, I think I'd bet the under <laughs> with what I've seen so far. <laughs> I think I'd probably bet the under. I think I'm I mean, we'll see how this weekend goes, of course, but like let's say Virginia Tech just does what they've been doing all year, right? And they just kind of 
lose a game. It's very inconsistent. It's kind of like the same story. Let's let's go like non doomsday scenario with Christian Veyu. Let's just say like Virginia Tech loses by a touchdown and didn't look very good on either side of the football. Just kind of same story. What we've been seeing. I think I would come away from it thinking, okay, well, this team still isn't very good and the schedule is like manageable, but who are they going to beat? The schedule is only manageable because from the outsider perspective, we look at the opponent and say they can be had, but like that doesn't mean Virginia Tech's going to take advantage of it. Yeah. That's... Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think what keeps the, the sickos like us going here is number one, seeing how the other teams are doing. And the fact that Virginia Tech, I mean, they didn't get crushed by Marshall. Yeah. They didn't get crushed by Purdue. They hung in there for a little while against Rutgers. It's like, mm-hmm. maybe they can bring it all together. The story of the Brent Pry era has been that the answer is somewhere between getting crushed and coming up just short. Yep. Yep. The hallmark of the Brent Pry era so far has been inconsistency. Andy Better, uh, Andy Better, Andy Bitter of the Tech Sideline podcast, techsideline.com. Uh, I was listening to a podcast today. They were recapping the uh, Marshall game. I listened to it here on Tuesday. Andy Bitter made a good point, something we've kind of alluded to here in the first couple of minutes of this podcast. Uh, if you were to draw up a schedule for a rebuilding head coach, if you were to, you know, going to draw up the month of September, I mean, <laughs> it went Old Dominion, first-year coach Purdue at home, Rutgers and Marshall. <laughs> like, it's year two. You got to win a couple of those. And here we are. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just run out of stuff to say with this team. Hokie Hangover is proud to be sponsored by Homefield, the premium collegiate apparel brand in the United States. Based in Indianapolis, Homefield is committed to creating comfortable and officially licensed apparel featuring vintage college designs. Homefield puts in extra reps for each of the more than 150 colleges they highlight, discovering unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create the best look at your tailgate. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order. Homefield makes online shopping so easy, even I can't screw it up. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order and acquire blue chip apparel from Homefield, an official sponsor of Hokie Hangover. Hey guys, Mike here on behalf of our podcast partner, Vivid Seats. That's right. Hokie Hangover Podcast is partnering with Vivid Seats this football season to provide you with all of your ticketing needs. Hanging to a game at Lane Stadium this fall, need tickets? Check out Vivid Seats. Going to another college football venue this fall? Use Vivid Seats. Checking out a concert venue even? Vivid Seats has you covered there as well. And they got a promo code just for you. That's right. Go to vividseats.com. Use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. We can't thank Vivid Seats enough for their partnership this football season. Make sure to check them out. What do you guys want to see? I guess, what are your... I think we know what the keys to the game are. Stop the run and then just score like 17 points and you probably have a pretty good chance of winning. 
like what is one thing you want to see on Saturday that maybe you haven't seen yet outside of just like stopping the run? <laughs> What's one thing you kind of want to see that you haven't seen yet? Or one thing that you've seen a little bit of that you want to be more consistent? Well, kind of related to the stop and the run part, I want Feldarius Payne to play more. Um, we've, we've mentioned multiple times what we think of the uh, veterans up front, specifically at defensive tackle. They're not adding much value to this defense. Feldarius Payne has not played very much. He's had a very injury-riddled career at Virginia Tech, unfortunately. But he made a really nice play uh, against Marshall, and I'd be interested to at least give him a bigger share of the snaps just to see what he can do with more opportunities. I'm not sure that he's going to really change things for this defense, but no one, no one in that group has earned the starting job. They're really just holding it by default. So give Payne a chance. Fair. Andrew? Uh, yeah. I mean, take off the uh, the home run ball. Like, Mike, you made the point. The vast majority of offensive run plays for Marshall were relatively unproductive, but just as we saw in the Rutgers game, just as we've seen in every game this season, you know, the 30, 40, 50 yard run that can be a game breaker is there. It's like, it's all about doing exactly what Virginia Tech hasn't done yet. And that's playing a complete football game. So yeah, I'd like to see that. And on the other side, you know, we saw evidence that not only the run game with Kyron Drones, but, you know, the traditional run game with Tootin, you know, actually picked up a little bit of steam before they went away from it. That's the first actual evidence we've seen of that this year. Yeah. So against a pit defense that, as Ricky mentioned, may be the best defense that Virginia Tech has seen so far this year. I think Rutgers could make an argument for that. Get something going. You know, get Jalen Lane back to full health, show something in the run game, and then you might not have a good offense, but at least you have on tape for your opponents to prepare for something resembling like balance, complimentary football, you know. And I guess last but not least, if we can get out of this game without a new problem, having arisen that we haven't <laughs> talked about in a prior week oh boy that would be a miracle if we could just solve we're not going to solve every problem in one game they're not going to add to them come out and fire at all cylinders but it's not we can't be trading problems okay like we put a band-aid on that one but now there's a hole on the other side of the boat what's going on <laughs> well i'll tell you right now something to to keep in mind jalen jones is currently questionable for this game at safety, which means Monsor Delane is probably going to have to move to safety for this game, which means Virginia Tech is going to have to rely on either Canteen uh, at, at corner, um, maybe some of those younger guys. That's something to keep an eye on. So Ricky's not endorsing Moe's Phillips start? I think it's certainly possible, but I saw enough sure. of Delane 
in the uh, Purdue game. I've seen enough of him in other games to know that they feel relatively comfortable with him there. Um, you're probably going to see a rotation, though. I would assume that Mose will play a fair amount. I just don't know if he'll get the start. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. He'll definitely play. Uh, we have a couple listener questions I think are very relevant to this conversation. Jimmy Cleveland, what position of our defense needs to improve the most in order for us to beat Pitt? Our linebackers haven't been playing well, nor our defensive line. I think they both need to play well. Maybe that's a cop-out, but they're so complimentary. They're so important. The run-fit issues have been both on the defensive line, the linebackers. They both have to play a lot better. I'll, I'll put it on Alan Tisdale specifically as someone who's a veteran has played enough games where he should know better. I'll I'll put it on him to really start to improve, hopefully, as we get to the midway point of this year. Uh, he can really solidify some things at the mic spot if he would play to his potential. You know how they say if you have two quarterbacks, you got none? Well, if you got four rotating Mike linebackers, then you really got none. I'll put it on the uh, actual on the linebacker. That's, that's, I mean, uh, that's facts. When you're rolling out true or not true freshman, but freshman walk on George hey, Balance. George Balance. Takeaway is hey, you know what? He looks second he looks highest rated linebacker in the Marshall game. Listen, Thank you very much. Listen, if our if our veterans aren't going to play well and the younger guys are going to get a shot. You may as well do it in a lost season. Fine with me. At least get the young guys some experience if that's what we're gonna if that's the path we're gonna go down. Well, I mean, you could say that, Mike, but at the same time, if we're just throwing it and getting young guys experience, the team goes one and eleven and the Brett Pride thing is done, that experience isn't worth anything. None of the guys are gonna be on the team in two years. That's a very a very fair point. I also don't want to be throwing in the towel completely. I mean, we all know the direction this is heading at least right now, but I don't, I don't want yeah, to throw they, in the towel they should, four uh, games either. Yeah. They should understand the sense of urgency to do whatever it takes to get as many more wins on the board as you can, Agreed. given where things are right now. Mike, I mean, you follow the entire ACC. Is this uh, like earlier or later that people start to really lose it and lose patience? with the new regime like the honeymoon phase is over clearly at least from what you can see on twitter i don't think people want to get rid of him no one's happy right now you know compare that to jeff collins at georgia tech or other failed or maybe didn't fail but there was early bumps in the road experiences that you've seen this has a lot of jeff collins georgia tech in it a guy who they thought would fit the now, now collins is not like a georgia tech uh alum or a guy who got his start in coaching at Georgia Tech, similar to how Brent Pry did, you know, guys started coaching at Virginia Tech. It wasn't that situation, but there are a lot of similarities, right? Collins came in, he recruited well right away, but you saw the incompetence, the lack of preparation, right? Um play just the the defense, which Jeff Collins had a good defense at Temple when he was the head coach there. The defense looked disjointed for Georgia Tech. They had no plan on offense. They didn't know what they wanted to be schematically. This has a lot of Jeff Collins in it so far, which is not good news for Virginia Tech. 
Uh, I confirmed earlier tonight that we are still paying Justin Fuente. So anybody who's like suggesting that Virginia Tech fire Brent Pry after year two, that those are like fringe people on social media. So I, I don't want to give them too much clout. But the people suggesting that, you know, Virginia Tech needs to fire Brent Pry after year two is just simply not going to happen. Um, as far as <laughs> this question from Matt Maciosi, is there any reason to keep going? The answer is no, but we're going to try anyway. Um, I don't, I don't really know how else. I mean, we just got to keep proceeding, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, like the alternative is, you know, as has been thrown out there, just ban the program, tear down Lane Stadium, turn it into additional student parking that's sorely needed. You know, there is some appeal there, but, there you know, for those who have, for those to come. Some appeal there. Mike, uh, you mentioned that some of the people that are suggesting that Virginia Tech should fire Brent Pry at the end of the year are fringe. I would caution you to uh, re refrain from making that comment until we get to, like, November. Because I have a feeling this podcast may have a certain tone. I agree. Come November, where all where the three of us may not think that that's so fringe. I don't think, and I, I think that would be a thought that, that would be more uh, widespread as well. Let's just see where this goes. This is from Jermaine. With how bad the team's playing, should there be concern keeping recruits on board? We've talked yes. about that on other podcasts. Absolutely. The answer is always yes. The further away you get from the Justin Fuente era, the less that you can sell hope right? There's actual data points. Now you can only sell hope for so long. If you're a new, new coaching staff in a rebuild, if you're selling hope, but you're in year two and you're actually worse than you were in year one, probably not going to be a good selling point anymore. So, uh, Jack Reed, can you give us a pulse of the pit fan base? Things have trended down for the Panthers since Kenny Pickett left. Does Narduzzi still have their support? What about Signetti as offensive coordinator and quarterback coach? Um, I can probably take this one. It's and a very then, fair question. Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, Pitt's actually been fine since. First of all, it's only been this is only the second season post Pickett. Pitt's been fine. They they were actually pretty decent last year with a really bad uh, quarterback situation. Uh, Narduzzi has their support. Frank Signetti does not necessarily have their support. <laughs> Uh, Frank Signetti coach offenses don't tend to be very good. Uh, Pittsburgh had a penchant. I mean, they had a good offensive coordinator when Kenny Pickett was there. They let him go, let him walk because he was just, uh, he didn't have the greatest relationship with Pat Narduzzi. So, uh, that was kind of a problem. And, uh, now Frank Signetti is a coordinator. He brings in his handpicked quarterback. And a guy that he's had success with a prior stop and it's not going well. So they are kind of out on Signetti. Ricky. I did not realize that when Narduzzi signed his last extension in March of last year, that he is signed through 2030. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah. He'll be a candidate at Michigan State, by the way when that job opens in the next 24 hours or so. That is a very good point. I would agree so, with you. He's going to be a candidate. Andrew? Uh, all I would say is that if to any Pitt fans that are upset with Pat Narduzzi right now because your team is 1-3, and three, 
coming off of two very successful seasons, really a strong run where he's built a very respectable program. Yeah, to those Pitt fans, I say things actually can get worse. So, uh, you know, the grass is not always greener on the other side. And for Virginia Tech fans, I would say that I long for the days, which are hopefully somewhat soon, where we have something going in Blacksburg like Pat Narduzzi has in Pittsburgh right now. Something yeah. with that level of consistency. I mean, Pitt won the ACC two years ago, and they won nine games last season. And it's the only two nine-win seasons for Pittsburgh in the last two decades. Narduzzi's, like, in a, in a pretty good spot there. Who I mean, would have thought in 2016 when Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente marched into the ketchup bottle and beat Pittsburgh that one of those guys would still be around and it wasn't going to be Justin Fuente? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Life comes at you fast. You guys have any other thoughts on this game? I think the path is pretty straightforward. You stop the run and you score like two and a half touchdowns and you probably win. You're at home. Don't do any weird shit. Don't turn the ball over. Um, This Penalties. would be, this is a relatively important game in the sense that it's a prime time on the ACC network. Um, so even though there's going to be more important games going on, you're still going to get a fair amount of eyeballs. Looking at the schedule ahead, this is the this is the most winnable game that Virginia Tech will have until November. Like this game is more winnable than any other game they're going to play next month. It's more winnable than the Louisville trip. Basically, you got to get to at Boston College in early to mid-November before Virginia Tech faces a team that's got as many issues as Pittsburgh does. Yeah, I agree. Go ahead, Andrew. I was going to say, interestingly enough, for Pittsburgh, this is also the most winnable game that they have until November. They follow this up with Louisville at Wake at Notre Dame, Florida State, Syracuse before they Mm. face Boston College. Man, that is a Mm. tough stretch. Yeah. So, yeah. So this one is this one is just as important in Arduzzi as it is for for Pry. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say. Uh, fan but Arduzzi is... isn't on the hot seat, and Brett Pry is. Narduzzi has won toss-up games in his life as the head coach. Yes. And every single one that Brent Pry loses is just another notch against him. Because you know when you are oh and whatever against power five teams when you know a large handful of them are in this within a you know five point spread it's just a indictment on you and your staff's ability to prepare for the opponent i'm gonna make a statement here and you guys tell me if this is fair or not the next time that Brent Pry wins a toss-up game would be the first time he's won one at Virginia Tech. Is that? Do you think that's true, or would you count Boston College in that category? You guys, I mean, before we say Liberty, Virginia Tech was like a ten-point dog against Liberty. Not a lot of people were expecting Tech to win that game. Um. Yeah, I think the BC game last year was a toss-up. 
and I actually walked out walked out of that game feeling relatively okay. Yeah. Um, the ODU game this year was may, maybe not quite a toss up, but it was not like a firm W. I agree with that. So, Spread was thirteen. It was not a toss up game. It was like you better win that one, sort of. Yeah, it it wasn't like I am blindly picking Virginia Tech. It was, I'm going to pick Virginia Tech because they should win this game, but I'm not going to sit here and be surprised if it doesn't happen. But yeah, this game would certainly be um, the most important win of Prize era, considering there are only four others to look at. Uh, Gross. Should we do our picks? I was going to say. One thing, I, got, I got one for you quickly. Yes. Yep. Go ahead. No problem. Is uh, Brent Prime blocking people on Twitter a problem? Oh, Did you yeah. see? Oh, man. So how uh, many, like, who who do we know has been blocked? Because I've only seen like one or two. It was like random. I saw like random accounts were getting blocked. I have not been blocked yet. I have not either. Which is funny because, well, never mind. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not going to disclose what I was about to say. You guys know, though. Yes. Um, yes. So. Um, it's certainly not a good look, Andrew. To your point, um, of all the of all the discontent on this podcast during the Justin Fuente era, uh, Justin unfollowed me on Twitter, but never blocked me. Um. So. It's certainly not great. It's not the kind of thing that you really would like to see from your head coach. You would hope that they would be above that stuff. Um, it also could have been someone managing Pry's account. That's I'm what I gonna, think. I'm not going to sit here and act like Brent Pry is the only one on his Twitter, right? This he's not Donald Trump, right? Like that. Like Brent Pry probably has at least a couple folks that are helping him manage that account. So that would not shock me either. Haven't seen yeah, like a I lying. Mean, like, we haven't seen like a lying Pat Narduzzi tweet yet, in like all caps. It's definitely not Trump. Continue out, Andrew. <laughs> Continue. I was just gonna say, like you know, I haven't done enough research to see what the people who are being blocked are tweeting to yeah. lead them to get blocked. We'll say like the Twitter of the head coach should be something of a recruiting tool, and. uh you probably don't want your recruits to see like the fans directly tweeting at you like you suck. But recruits can also see that elsewhere. So ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, there should be bigger priorities than that. Though I do not think it's the end of the world. No. If he was blocking like Andy Bitter, then maybe that would be a bit of a different story. Well, like a Lincoln Riley situation on our hands. Blocking. Uh... BOC register, B writer. Did you guys notice that um, Virginia Tech has moved their uh, pre game day headquarters to Blacksburg? As Saw Teal's to story Rona? on that. Yeah. I guess. I, well, the point, I thought the point of Roanoke was to make it so that you couldn't go out or you couldn't, you know, have girls distracting you. The night before the game. I don't know. 
yeah, honestly, I really don't care. Like, it's if he thinks it's better for his guys to be in Blacksburg and better for his coaches, fine. Like, it, it, it's it's entirely within his realm, and I'm not married to one concept or the other. Uh, but also, Virginia Tech is one and three. Brent Price four and eleven. Like, I couldn't care less. Yes, like, he could. He could headquarter in in freaking uh, Big Stone Gap, and I would not care. There's a poll. <laughs> Shout out James Mitchell. Shout out former Notre Dame running back Julius Jones. Big Stone Gap. Going to go way back machine. Yeah, I got no idea who that is. Dallas Cow- former Dallas Cowboy running back Julius Jones. Oh, okay. Hold on. Now I think now I'm now I'm pulling it up. Now it's more. Yeah. Now let's it's more do the picks. Louisville four and zero on the road at NC State Friday seven p.m. ESPN. Louisville a three point favorites. Andrew. Uh, I will take Louisville. Uh, Brandon Armstrong looking more like he did last year than he did two years ago. Fair, Rick. Yeah, the Brennan Armstrong experience has not gone well in Raleigh thus far. I'm very surprised by that. I will take Louisville to win this one on the road and become maybe the third best team in the ACC, potentially. I'm taking NC State. This is the best defense Louisville's seen so far. So I'm just going to lean into that. Maybe NC State figures it out offensively. Maybe they don't, but maybe they don't even have to. Maybe they just like don't score a ton of points and win. Plus, it's just tough to win at Carter Finley on a weeknight. I feel like Virginia Tech fans know all about that. Uh, Saturday noon, Clemson is traveling to Syracuse. Clemson fresh off of a loss where they actually look pretty impressive against Florida State. Clemson is seven-point favorite at the JMA Wireless Dome. The Jiffy Pop Dome. Uh, Clemson. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Clemson. I think I think they're starting to find their rhythm a little bit. They're certainly not as good as they need to be relative to their standard, but I think the Tigers pull this one out. First of all, uh we were talking about the carrier dam or whatever, me in casual conversation with friends, and I said, or as Ricky LeBlue would call it the Jiffy Pop show. <laughs> They said, why does he call it that? And I said, I have no idea. So so for the record, I did not coin it as the Jiffy Pop Dome. But early on when the dome first came about, people called it uh, that it looked like Jiffy Pop. And for some of our listeners that may be under the age of 30, Jiffy Pop was something that you would put on the fire and you would basically cook popcorn by the fire. It was like a camping thing. So the dome looked like Jiffy Pop after Jiffy Pop had cooked. <laughs> the more you know. The more you know. <laughs> Andrew no. giggling. Andrew giggling right there made the clip. That was great. <laughs> Either way, now that we all know that, what we also know is that I think Clemson struggles over the course of the last couple of years, some change, have been really the product of what you see when you go from having super elite talents, Trevor Lawrence, T. Higgins, Travis Etienne of the world to just good talents. Like you're still going to win the majority of your games. You're not going to steamroll everyone, but 
I, I think that as time goes on, Dabo's going to become more accustomed to this roster. I think Kate Klubnick's going to settle in. I think that Clemson's just a far more talented team. They should cover this spread. I'm on Clemson, too, because I just think that Syracuse's strengths are rooting, rooted in the running game. I just think they're going to have a hard time running Garrett Schrader like 25, 30 times against that front seven. Clemson's defense gave Jordan Travis absolute hell in that game on Saturday. It was it was a pretty inspired effort. I have a hard time seeing Syracuse's offense get going here. So give me Clemson. Uh, this is uh, this is this game is disgusting. I can't believe we're going to even talk about it. Virginia. Oh, and four. Traveling on the road to Chestnut Hill to face the one and three Boston College Eagles, two p.m. on the CW, which is just as God intended. BC is a three-point favorite. This is the best place to put this game, other than maybe not on television. Uh, Calandria is talented, but he, as uh, Tim Fornelli, uh, that's his name, right? Tim Fornelli. Tom. Tom, Tom Fornelli, yeah. as Tom Fornelli likes to say, leads the nation in whoopsie daisies. Uh, he's he's very, very reckless. BC seems to have found a little bit of something with Castellanos as a running quarterback. Uh, I will take the Eagles to win and cover, and Virginia will go to 0-5. Gross. Andrew. So I would encourage anyone, right, to say, like, I don't know, in an imaginary world, you're going to Oxford, Mississippi this weekend to see number 13 LSU play number 20 Ole Miss. And you just walk into the local bar there and before the game, ask them to turn this one on, see if they'll even do it. <laughs> or at least just get a reaction. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, do you guys have a CW here? I'm trying to watch UBA <laughs> Boston College. Either way, so. Hey, do you guys have a hypothetical? CW? I want to watch future SEC school Virginia. Yeah, <laughs> damn. <laughs> I don't know if they'd like that, but either way, I'll you know. <laughs> I think Calandra has got some. It's uh, got some moxie. He's got some juice. I don't know. Give me them UVA. I'll go. <laughs> I'll go with UVA too for the hell of it. I don't know who's gonna win. I don't. It's. <laughs> It's gonna be really ugly. I'll just go with UVA because I gonna be like like fifteen people at that game. There, are, yeah, I know. And then there's gonna be like, I I mean, who's I mean, would you rather watch like the Live Chicago event last weekend, or would you rather watch UVA Boston College on the CW? Because like those are the two sporting events they host right now. It's Live <laughs> Golf and the and, and bad ACC college football. football. <laughs> yeah, bad bad college football on the, yeah from the ACC. Uh. <laughs> Speaking of gross games, uh, Bowling Green <laughs> is going to Atlanta to play Georgia Tech 330 ACC Network. Georgia Tech is a 22-point favorite. Bowling Green is so ass. Uh, Georgia Tech, give me Georgia Tech, against former Virginia Tech offensive coordinator Scott Leffler. My God, I would love to have his offense right about now. You're not kidding. Uh, Georgia Tech's not going to win by that much. So give me Bowling Green. Give me Lefty to cover the spread. Disgusting. Andrew. <laughs> Georgia Tech is actually allowing more yards per game on the ground than Virginia Tech. Their defense is not very good. Yuck. Yeah. So 
I guess that's one thing for people to imagine. It could get worse. Uh, uh, but I'll take Leffler to cover. Hell yeah. You two sicken me. <laughs> uh, this is the game of the week. Uh, full voting member, number 11, Notre Dame. Fresh off of a heartbreaking defeat at the hands of Ohio State, travels to Durham in a letdown spot against number 17, Duke. Notre Dame, five and a half point favorite, 7.30 p.m. ABC. Kirk Herbstreit calling the game at Durham, baby. Wallace Wade? Uh, Hell yeah. This, yeah. Uh, if it weren't for this game, the ACC's TV schedule this week would be uh, lacking. Is to, to put it mildly. Oh, that's nice. I was gonna say dog shit. <laughs> yeah, um, I was I was pretty confident in Notre Dame having kind of a breakout moment last week, um, and I texted Mike afterwards and I just how disappointed I was that Notre Dame choked that one. Um, not that I'm a fan of Notre Dame, but quite frankly, um, I'm not a fan of Ohio State. I'm going to go the opposite direction here. This is Mike Elko's national breakout game at Duke. Oh, Duke's, Duke's going to five and zero. Oh. They're going to win this game Holy at home. Sh- and uh, Florida State's going to have a legit contender in the ACC. That isn't Miami. I don't know. I think Sam Hartman will be right at home. Back in Andrew, the draw. If all people, if you don't pick Duke, we got a problem. I just really, I too am disappointed in Notre Dame blowing that because I think Notre Dame has the potential to be better than they've been in years. Yeah. Uh, And I just think with the talent they have on that roster, Duke's not going to be able to match it. Like, you know, yeah, there's only a, a limited amount of national energy, I believe, that Duke can harness in one season. And I think they... Let all that out by beating Clemson in week one. So they'll keep it competitive, but I like Notre Dame to cover. I obviously I want Duke to win. One thing real quick. Uh, would you like to know what Sam Hartman's touchdown interception ratio is? He hasn't thrown a pick yet. It doesn't exist. It's 14 touchdowns and no picks. Yep. Disgusting. Yeah, he's good. Uh, I am going to go Notre Dame. I think this game is going to be competitive, though, for two reasons. Number one, because this is a letdown spot for Notre Dame. Number two, because Mike Elko is going to have that team ready. Mike Elko, former Notre Dame defensive coordinator, by the way, for one season. Uh, I, I think Notre Dame wins this game. They just have too much talent. I think they win by like seven to ten points. I think Duke will definitely keep this game competitive. It'll be interesting. It'll be a fun watch, I think. But Notre Dame's got too much talent. So You cowards. You damned cowards. Oh, I'm no coward. Watch this. Pitt. <laughs> Traveling to Blacksburg. 8 p.m. ACC Network. Pitt only a two and a half point favorite. Guys, I'm going to do the honors here. Because Ricky jokingly called us cowards. <clears throat> I'm picking the Hokies out right here. The line makes this much sense. Zero sense. Zero sense. Pittsburgh was bet down. It opened at four, which made... Again, no, it opened at five, opened at five, even better, even better for my argument. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Ricky. This game opened at five for Pittsburgh. Pitt is a bad football team. Virginia Tech's worse, right? The thing, here's the thing though. 
Virginia Tech just hasn't put together a four-quarter game. I don't anticipate they'll do that again. I don't anticipate they'll do it Saturday, okay? I don't think it's going to be a four-quarter game that Virginia Tech all of a sudden puts it together and wins by, like, three scores. That's not going to happen. But what I think Virginia Tech can do is I think they have shown an ability to stop the run. Limit the big plays, right? That's That's the goal. It's really important in this game, really paramount in this game, to limit limit the big plays because you are in all likelihood going to be facing a backup quarterback. Limit the big plays in the running game, and I think Pittsburgh's offense is going to have a really, really hard time scoring points. Now, I'm not going to say that Virginia Tech won't have a hard time scoring. The last three games have been 17 points, 16 points, 17 points. We know this Virginia Tech offense has struggled to put the ball in the end zone and finish drives. I don't think Virginia Tech needs to score a ton on Saturday to win this football game. I think if you score two touchdowns, get a field goal, end up in that 17 to 20 point range, I think that should be enough to win the football game if you limit the big plays on the ground. A lot of ifs there, but above all else, the spread makes no sense to me. Christian Veyu as a starting quarterback is baked into the spread at minus five, right? It's baked into the opening spread that he could be the quarterback. Why is this now a two and a half point spread? Give me the Hokies outright. I think Virginia Tech gets in the win column here. I think they they scratch and claw and get a win. I think Pry and his staff get a much needed W. Put one in the left column. Give me the Hokies 17 to 16. Disgusting one point win in Blacksburg. We're going to have a victory pod next week, guys. All right. I'll, I'll come in and rain on the parade real quick. Okay, that's fine. I, I would have taken Pitt. <laughs> I would have taken Pitt at minus five. Uh so yeah, at minus two and a half, I still feel pretty good about it. I would. Maybe Vegas baked into the cake that uh Brent Pry has been out coached in nearly every game he's ever coached as the head coach. And that Pat Narduzzi has some experience. These teams are both bad, but in a battle of equally flawed teams, I will lean on coaching in the end. And if Pry and his staff can come up with a game plan that properly exposes the weaknesses of the opponent, and the team can come out and play consistently for the majority of four quarters, like, yeah, they could win, but we haven't seen that yet. And I just think Pat Narduzzi is going to have too much fun with a team with poor offensive line play and so many issues at linebacker that they're throwing in a walk-on. Freshman. Just, I don't know. I've been burnt too many times. Give me Pitt. I'm going to hit y'all with two numbers uh, or two statistics, which if you guys have read my column, which you both did on settling the score earlier today, you guys know these. Virginia Tech has lost eight games in a row against the Power Five. Since Brent Pry took over, Virginia Tech has a minus 74-point margin. That number gets worse against the Power Five. It's negative 104 since Brent Pry took over. I am fading the Hokies until further notice. 
they've they've got to show me that they can do something. Pittsburgh stinks. I'm well aware of that, but the Hokies stink more. Um, we've seen this parade dozens of times in our lifetimes where Virginia Tech has a gettable win at home on national television or in a nationally like prime time televised environment and they fall in their face. I am praying that that does. I really wanted to pick Virginia Tech to win this game because Pitt is awful, right? Like they have yeah, question really marks. Yeah. They have question mark at the biggest position um, on the offense. Their defense is good, but not elite. They are gettable, but until Virginia Tech shows me that they can go out and win and shows me that they know how to win against the Power Five, I'm not picking them. So Pittsburgh's going to win this game, and they're going to win it by a score of 27 to 20. Fair enough. I I I really hope we're doing a victory pod next week. I would love yeah. to do that. That would be amazing. I mean, even the like Braxton Burmeister led. Oh God! Final year of Fuente. EV three. They would be a ten point favorite in this game. Yeah, it's gross. I can't believe I'm saying this. I would prefer prize staff recruiting and Fuente staff coaching. When do I ever think I would say that? Oh, that's where we're at. Anything, any final thoughts? Um, Mike, you mentioned on the, on the recap of the Marshall game that this was a big picture podcast until further notice. Mm-hmm. Praying that we can, we get to do a, a legitimate victory recap next week. I think it's, I think it's needed for everybody. I think we're all a little, a little tired, a little wired little irritated could all use a bit of brevity running out stuff to say to andrew yeah 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 the pod is more fun when you feel like you have a chance to win going into the individual games so yes yeah so this isn't just a rapidly sinking ship uh rate review subscribe follow the boys on twitter yep shout out hokey uh Hokie Farm, Main Street Pharmacy. Shout out Homefield Apparel. Shout out Vivid Seats. Thanks for supporting the podcast. We'll be back after this game. I will be at another wedding, boys, this weekend. I, too, will be at a wedding. It is absurd. Jacob Hartless and Mackenzie Wheeler. Last wedding of the year for me, thankfully. But fortunately, since this game is at 8 p.m., I should be able to watch most of it. Most of it live. I've got one next weekend, and then I have one a couple weekends after that. And then I'm done for a while. So the next big event will be uh, my nephew being born, I guess, will be the next big event, I think. Military ball? Uh, <laughs> or the military ball. What the hell? I mean, look, look listen, listen. If Virginia Tech's going to a military ball, you got to beat Pittsburgh. So... How about this? Let let's make a pact. If Virginia Tech makes the military bowl, see you there. All three of us see you are there. going. See you there. I'm absolutely going. I don't know when Virginia Tech's going to another bowl game. <laughs> Thousand percent. I'll be there. <laughs> I yeah. See you there.
Oh. Let's double down any bowl game. Oh, hold on. Hold on. You think I'm going to Shreveport? You lost your damn El Paso. El Paso? Yeah. Not not Look, going we're to not, El Paso. We're not making a bowl game, so just blindly agree. It's like saying, <laughs> you know. How about that bowl game in Hawaii? See if I can swing that in the budget. The, the, the Hawaii, Hawaii Bowl? The Hawaii Bowl? Yeah. I've actually been I, didn't, I didn't know what it was called. <laughs> I have attended damn the Hawaii game, Bowl. Damn games change names every every two seconds. That's an easy one. <laughs> it's no San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl. But... Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Or the uh, Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. There used to be the, uh, the PapaJohns.com Bowl. That yes. was a good one. That's right. Yes. All we need now is like a Cottonelle or a Charmin or a Quilted Northern Bowl. Uh, Virginia and... Tech could play in that one. <laughs> I mean, that was an alley. I mean, that was an alley oop. <laughs> it's just too easy. I mean, again, two worst teams in the Power Five get to play in the Charmin Bowl. No, they get to play Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, man, Mike. Mike's got the jokes tonight. Show One me thing the, we could show do. Me the lies. Show me the lies. One thing we could do going forward is judge Virginia Tech like in the spectrum of like how close they are to being the worst team in Power Five. Weekly re- recaps on how Stanford and Northwestern went out and did. Cal, see, see what the race looks like. Yeah, hey, Northwestern picked up a huge dub last week. Yeah, Huge yeah, Minnesota sucks. Uh, oh, one la- one last dubs. question. One last, like seriously, one last question before we wrap up. If Virginia Tech loses this game, are the Hokies on quit watch? Quit watch, like yeah. players quitting. Yeah, like players quitting, mailing it in. Because we have not. I, I we can say a lot of things about this team. This team has not quit yet. Um, I'm gonna go no after Florida State. <laughs> That's when I think we start to maybe get close to that. Um, Florida State and Virginia would be would be the two biggest games left on the schedule in terms of juice for this team. So I think they get through Florida State at least. Yeah. Oh, and, oh, and if they quit, this pod's going to get really interesting. Just put it put it that way. Y'all thought you liked this podcast now. You wait until Brent Pry loses the locker room in November. Oh boy. Uh, oh boy. Andrew. I mean, I certainly hope they don't quit. They're no, young man. and not showing a ton of indications that they're mailing it in yet. Hopefully, Florida State will have no impact at all whatsoever on morale because it's not going to be good. But yeah, I could I could see. I don't know if, if you're if you're losing every game like up through Boston College at that point, you know maybe you mail it in. Yeah, I don't think they'll quit. I just hypothetical. All right, guys, we'll be back next week to recap a victory pod. Saying it right now, Mike and is if, speaking it into it. If not, I have to because I'm only the only reason why I picked Virginia Tech is because of the spread. So I need to like convince myself that that's the right direction. Okay, so let me ask you this real quick. You're a degenerate. If you didn't live in Virginia, would you bet on this game? Thousand percent. 
Line doesn't oh make it. Oh my god. Thousand percent. Line makes no sense. Thousand percent. Sicko. This has Georgia Tech Wake Forest last week written all over it. Sicko. This is a strange line. Yeah. This is one of this is one of those games you throw a little money line cash on Virginia Tech and see let the chips fall where they may. I'm not saying you place a huge bet on it. I'm saying you throw a couple bucks down and see if you can cash in. You're a lunatic. Bet the numbers, not the teams. We'll talk next week. Go Hokies.